we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, the global phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas. And an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS. Voltagers Park Campground, August 9th, 1983. A mother is absent a few minutes. Upon her return, her daughter, Melanie Decan, is missing. Twelve days later, the girl will be found dead, gagged, and tied to a tree trunk. This is who killed Teresa. Let me speak. Let me spit out my bitterness Born of grief and nights without sleep And festering flesh Today I want to discuss the 1983 murder of five-year-old Melanie Decan. It's a case that is not unknown in Quebec. In, in fact, uh, just last summer, marking the 35th anniversary, the Drummondville newspaper Les Presse did an investigative piece about the murder. And today's story is in part a translation of that piece including some additional information I've uncovered through a research. However, what I'm going to ultimately suggest and add to the story has not been featured in any publication. Once I was blessed I was awaited like the rain Like eyes for the blind like feet for the Tuesday, August 9th, 1983, is a beautiful sunny day in Drummondville. Gilles Thiriot, the head of the Sarté du Québec station in Drummondville at the time, recalls that he was at work when he got the call and it came in. 
Without delay, patrolmen go to Voltagers Park campground to meet the parents and search for the girl. The search parameter is expanding and a request for assistance is sent to the district level. The case is quickly handed over to the major crimes unit. We had a disappearance or kidnapping at that time. We did not know it yet, notes Terrio. I did a regular check at the police station, recalls Gerard Prince, a journalist for La Tribune newspaper for 27 years. That day I call and I'm told that a little girl had disappeared in Voltagers Park. I immediately sent a message to La Tribune. Quickly, the SQ team from Trois-Rivières came to the Drummondville substation. Roadblocks are established. Divers search the adjacent Saint-Francois River. They complain that the thick pollution prevents them from examining the river bottom. A thorough search of the park and the surrounding area are completed. The SQ's Michel Baudouin is responsible for the operation. First, we met again with Jacqueline Descamps, Melanie's mother. She explains that she went to the campsite convenience store for 15 minutes, leaving her little girl on a swing. When she returned, the eldest of her three children was no longer there. After, she went around the park and surrounding area with a description of Melanie, recalls Michel Boudouin. The day after the disappearance of the five-year-old girl, a witness reports that he saw on August 9th a little girl holding the hand of a man near the iron bridge that spans the Saint-Francois River. Based on this observation, a composite photo is established and distributed in the community. Seeing it, a man from Drummondville declares, This guy... He looks like Michel Deary. Michel Baudouin instructed one of his investigators to meet the 24-year-old man living in Drummondville. The policeman returns to report to the chief investigator, Forget it. It's not him. This guy's a religious nut who speaks of nothing but the Bible. In the days following the disappearance, Gilles Theriot has a chance encounter with Michel Dittery at the police station in Drummondville. One day, I remember, I come out of my office, I see a young man sitting there, so I ask, is someone taking care of this gentleman? Is he a visitor? Someone coming to complain? Then a policeman from Nicolette arrives. Ah, it's our client. It's an arrest for a car theft. He was a young man who looked like a child. He was very small. He appeared and was released. It was Michel Deary, but he was not known to the police at that time. On Friday, August 12th, a press conference with Danielle and Jacqueline Descamps, Melanie's parents, is organized. Police accept offers from several hypnotists, parapsychologists, and a radiothistists who sought... <laughs> I don't even know what that is. What is a radiothesist? A radio... and radiothesist who, who sought hints of the little girl using a pendulum, a map, 
and a photo of her. <laughs> uh, a Drummondville uh, journalist comments, as soon as, as soon as people saw a man with a little girl, they would report it to the police. It had become a real madness. There were even fortune tellers who were pronouncing all kinds of things. It was beyond reason. It was really a time when there was a lot of stress with people. I felt it. Many calls are routed to police authorities. Monsieur Baudouin quotes as an example. Eh, the little girl is here, but I want two tickets to Diana Ross and 200 piastres, reveals Baudouin in his colorful language. Although not credible at first glance, all the information collected had to be analyzed. There were about a hundred people working on it in Drummondville, but also in Montreal, Shabugamu, everywhere. Police drain a portion of the St. Francis River in the hunt for traces of Melanie Decan. Two hydroelectric dams were completely closed for several hours so police can get a closer look at the river's rocky bottom. Despite the efforts made, there was still no news of Melanie Decan. It is work of an especially talented investigator who will solve the case. Jean-Paul Prince. On the afternoon of August 20th, he was working the streets of Trois-Rivières. Prince was sent to a crime scene in Louisville with a colleague from Trois-Rivières. I was going to take my colleague back to his residence. By going down this road, all of a sudden my colleague, he points out to me that, that there's this guy hitchhiking who kind of looks like Michel Deary. He's on the boulevard des Chanot de Trois-Rivières, so we stopped. I opened my window and I identified myself. It was him. Jean-Paul Prince invites Michel Deary aboard and a conversation begins en route to Drummondville. I talked to him about girls just to check him out. I told him all kinds of stories. I told him that I had already arrested some people who had committed murder, but that it was not always their fault. If they killed, it was because they are sick, says Prince. By confiding in him, Prince tries to coax him. He told me that he was beaten by his parents, he was thrown into the cellar. He told me that he had stayed at the Saint-Léonard d'Aston and that he had remained at one point on the south shore of Montreal. This is information that does not fall on deaf ears and will be useful later. Gradually, just before exit 181, Jean-Paul Prince starts talking about Melanie Descamps. Then Prince goes to Voltagers Park. There was a broken fence where the team of investigators assumed that the suspect had ducked through with the girl. Arriving in front, it is at this moment that Prince says, It is here that the little girl was abducted. He quickly notices that Deary is nervous. Holy shit, there's a cat fight. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on.
All right, take two. We'll, we'll leave that in, you know, just for kicks. There was a broken fence where the team of investigators assumed that the suspect had ducked through with the girl. Arriving in front, it is at this moment that Prince says, It is here that the little girl was abducted. He quickly notices that Deary is nervous. The vice is tightening. Jean-Paul Prince asks Deary directly if it was he who had kidnapped and killed Melanie de Camp. His answer was weak. Yes, but I did not kill her. I did not kill her. Kings heard my words And they sought out my company But now The janitors of Shadowland Flip their brooms The investigator tries to be reassuring by evoking the possibility that she is still alive. Convinced that she was not dead, Jean-Paul Prince brought Michel Deary to the police station. Other details emerge as Deary is brought to the place where Melanie Dequin would be found. Michel Deary explains to the investigators that from the beginning, he had brought the girl to the park and then brought her home to his apartment at 285 Brock Street, where they slept. On this subject, the various discussions with Deary and the state in which the body was discovered did not lead to the conclusion that there had been a sexual assault on the child. According to the 24-year-old man, the next day, August 10th, 1983, he wanted to bring Melanie back to the Voltagers Park, Seeing the helicopters deployed by the SQ in the sky, he was scared. He entered a wood near Hemming Road, picked up ribbons used to identify trees, and then attached the young Decan to a tree trunk, a few kilometers south of the Curie-Marchand Bridge, near the Hydro-Quebec Towers, about 300 meters from the end of Reed Street. Due to the darkness, the search cannot continue. The next day, at 5 o'clock in the morning, the search resumes with other police reinforcements and the canine squad. Teams survey the forest sector by sector. The forest is systematically cordoned in the area indicated by Michel Deary. Because of strong winds that hinder the detection of odors, it is only in the evening at 9.30 p.m., that Melanie Decan is found dead, tied to a tree trunk, with her stockings stuffed down her throat and a banner in her mouth. The information contradicts the story Deary told that he tied her to play with her and then forgot where he left her. For Jean-Paul Prince, it is very clear that he tied her up and choked her. For sure, he strangled her. The sight of the bound girl, swollen by days of exposure to heat, provokes reactions of rage and anger. For all the police officers who had to work that site, 
at least 80% of them came back with tears in their eyes. Me the first, states Gilles Thierryot. On August 22, 1983, Michel Deary was brought to the courthouse of Drummondville under a heavy police escort where he is charged with first-degree murder, abduction, and kidnapping of Melanie Decain. The Crown Attorney, Alan Perrault, recommends to Justice Yvonne Sirois that the accused undergo a psychiatric examination. Out of this, Deary is judged fit to stand trial. The 24-year-old, through his lawyer, Yves Bolduc, opts for a trial by jury. The journalist Gerald Prince remembers that people were waiting for him at the entrance of the court and insulting him. Inside, in the courtroom, Mr. Prince reports that Michel Deary looked vacant. This absence, this madness, this supposed insanity will be at the heart of the debates chaired by Judge Pierre Pinard. Various specialists, psychiatrists, psychologists will testify on Michel Deary's ability to distinguish between good and evil. The jury opts for a verdict of non-liability after less than four hours of deliberation, May 28, 1984. Deary is incarcerated at the Philip Pinel Institute for the Criminally Insane in the east end of Montreal. He returns to the news on July 12, 2001, when he manages to trick the guards at the Pinel Institute and escape. He is quickly found and brought back to the establishment within 24 hours. This acquittal for insanity 35 years later still leaves a bitter taste among the stakeholders, including Jean Fourier, a reporter with Allo Police who covered the trial. I never thought he was crazy. Not crazy enough to be put in the fire. He was, he was in between. The disappearance and death of Melanie Decan deeply affected the population. For both Michel Baudouin and Jean-Paul Prince, this was the most memorable case in their long careers in law enforcement. It's the one that touched us most. It struck me because she's a child. When you come in contact with the parents as we came in contact, we live their pain. It's been 35 years and I still think about it said Jean-Paul Prince in a low voice, full of emotion. I've lost all taste for life I'm all complaints Tell me why do you start the faithful Why do you crucify the saints And you let the wicked prosper You let their children Like dear, and my loves are dead or dying. 
Although Michel Deary is detained, Sarté de Quebec investigators Michel Baudouin and Jean-Paul Prince continue to investigate. Two years before Melanie Decain, again in Voltagers Park, a little girl went missing, but was soon found. The woman who had her child kidnapped did not complain to the police because she was with her lover at the campsite. In filing a complaint, she would have to say that she was with Michel Deary. It was he who had kidnapped this little girl, says Michel Boudouin without question. Jean-Paul Prince also remembers meeting Michel Deary at the Sherbrooke jail during the trial. We have brought all the unsolved cases in the region and their surrounding area. There is another case that came out in St. Hubert, the disappearance of Chantal de Montgaillard. A discussion led Deary to confess that it was he who had kidnapped the four-year-old Montgaillard when he was a teenager, according to what he told investigators on June 4, 1972, He took her to a small wood behind a church in Saint-Hubert, tied her up, but did not kill her. It is a scenario very similar to Melanie Decamp. The experienced police officers, Baudouin and Prince, have obviously validated the veracity of this confession. You should know that in this type of criminal record, there is information that is never communicated to the media one of these, in the case of Chantal de Montagnard, was the color of her underwear. Comments Jean-Paul Prince. He gave us the color of Chantal de Montagnard's panties, and it was correct. When the investigation was carried out at the time, in 1972, he had not been interviewed as a suspect because Deary's parents had moved to Saint-Léonard-d'Astan a few days later. The body has never been found. Indeed, there was a small woodland behind the church, but it was deforested to build houses. We spoke to the Crown Attorney, but since he was acquitted in one case, it would have yielded not much uh, to excuse him in another. And apart from his statement and his knowledge of the color of the underwear, there was nothing to corroborate. Jean-Paul Prince believes that Michel Deary has at least two murders to his credit. Well, maybe three. If this case sounds familiar to you, it it should, uh, because there are stark similarities between uh, another case from Drummondville, the 1977 disappearance of Claudette Poirier. We've spoken about the Claudette Poirier case before on this podcast, but it would help if I briefly summarized the particulars I've added new information that has not, until this point, been disclosed. Now, 15-year-old Claudette Poirier lived with her parents at 1190 Montfette in Drummondville. 
In the summer of 1977, the family decided to do some camping about seven miles south of Drummondville along Chemin Hemming. On July 27, 1977, this blonde-haired, 5'5", 110-pound girl is riding her bicycle along uh, Range 3 de Simpson on her way to a babysitting job on St. Charles Boulevard near her home back in Drummondville. So she's she's camping to the south and, and she rides all the way back, uh, back to, towards Drummondville. So somewhere between the campground and arriving at her, her destination in Drummondville, um, that's the point that Claudette disappears about a week after the disappearance on August 3rd, 1977, Claudette's bicycle is found along uh, Range 3 Saint-Cyril, about um, three miles from the campsite, midway between the campsite and her home in Drummondville. The bike is off its chain, and the man who owns the adjacent property states that the bike, which is in full view at the side of the road, was not there all the previous week. The police who investigated the case were the Sarté de Québec forces from Trois-Rivières and Drummondville. After an exhaustive um, search, they're unable to find any trace of Claudette. This is a broken record of a story. On December 8th, 1977, in a chilling article in Québec's La Nouvelliste, Reporter Yves Champeau suggests that Poirier might have met a similar fate as that of Denise Terrien in August 1961. We're going all the way back to 61. 16-year-old Terrien disappeared one morning while disembarking from a bus in Shawinigan. Four years later, uh, Marcel Bernier confessed to her murder and agreed to guide the police to the victim's remains abandoned in some woods. Now, some speculated that for the four years the young uh, Terrienger was missing, that she was sold into child prostitution. This story gets... (laughs) Fantastic. On, on June 20th, 1962, La Presse featured an article about the Montreal Paramount booking agency, a prostitution ring that would recruit 15 and 16 year old girls from Quebec and sell them into sex trafficking in the United States. In the Nouvelliste article, Champeau similarly speculates that Claudette Poirier might have met a similar fate. Now, a lot of this is digression to the max. I don't think that's the fate of uh, Poirier. But nevertheless, we see uh, echoes in in this stuff here. The disembarking from the bus of the Denise Terrien girl, disembarkment in 1999 of Julie Suprana from the bus in Terrebonne. And and I can tell you that um, the element of the possibility of uh, 
many cases that we've discussed involving an element of um, child prostitution um, is uh, a a fragment and um, uh, a possibility that I've, uh, I've I've really pussyfooted around in these these podcasts, in part because it's so frightening, and in part because uh, uh, it's very very difficult to prove uh, the idea of child sex trafficking in in Quebec. Uh, it and as as is the case um, anywhere where this occurs, it would require the willpower of several justice agencies in order to solve the problem. And as we know, we can't even get a single solitudinal justice force police agency in Quebec to own up to their mission and and solve even one case. So I don't have a whole lot of faith and hope um, for cracking uh, the great prostitution conspiracy in Quebec of the 1970s. So returning to Claudette Poirier, nine years after her disappearance on October 9th, 1986, nine years after the 1977 disappearance, two hunters find a skull, other bones, and women's clothing about 15 meters from the road at uh, La Reserve Saint-Lucien, about four miles south of the site of Claudette's disappearance. Now, I've also heard it reported that the bones were charred, as if the remains were burnt. I've I've heard two conflicting stories about that. Um, the remains are analyzed by Dr. André Lazon uh, at the SQ Medical Lab at Parthenay in Montreal and identified as Claudette Poirier. Given the length of time that has passed, the cause of death is undetermined in the case. If you go to my website, I made a small map of the Poirier locations. I may uh, eventually make a, a broader map, including uh, the uh, Melanie Decan uh, locations as well. Um, but anyway, there's a small map there that's interactive, and you can click on it and uh, manipulate around the geography to get a feel of what we're talking about. And, and basically what we're talking about is uh, going back to Melanie Decan. In her case, she disappears basically from the Centreville of uh, of um, Drummondville, and she's found to the south. In the case of Poirier, uh, basically um, she's camping south of Drummondville, and uh, she intends to go north to the city center of Drummondville, and she's found south of where she uh, had been camping with her parents. So returning to the Melanie Decan case, so what do we find in common here? Well, to begin with, both victims disappeared while camping in Drummondville, right? That's obvious. Poirier in 1977 and Decan in 1983. In 1977, Michel Deary would have been about 17 or 18 
too young to be Poirier's offender, some would think. Well, hardly. If police suspected him in the 1972 murder of Chantal de Montgaillard, when Deary had been 12 or 13, he would certainly be more than capable of murdering the 15-year-old Claudette Poirier five years later. So, returning to ge- ge- geography, where is uh, Poirier's home? Well, 11190 Rue Montfette is an eight-minute bike ride from the Voltagers campground. Where is 285 Brock Street, where Deary had claimed to have slept with Dickin? That's a 10-minute bike ride from the campground across the St. Francis River, where Dickin was last seen. And where is Dickin's body found? Well, that's found five kilometers south of Drummondville at the cross-section of Chemin Hemming and Rue Reed. Where was Poirier last seen? Ten kilometers south of Drummondville, riding her bike also along Chemin Hemming. And where are the remains found? Well, they're found 20 kilometers south also along Chemin Hemming. Now... The, the emphasis on bicycles is important. Note that when Deary was first encountered, uh, he had been brought to the station for stealing a car. And then later, Jean-Paul Prince picks him up while hitchhiking from Trois-Rivières back to Drummondville. In fact, uh, Deary never appeared to own a vehicle. And uh, this story suggests when he needed one, he stole one. And then... Kind of to back all of this up, on August 27th, 1983, there's an article in the Gazette about Deary, and uh, it makes repeated reference to his use of bicycle. Quoting from the article, Deary stayed most in his apartment, going only for rides on his bicycle or to get groceries. And then in another statement, Sister Clementine described him as a miserable soul, a loner who liked to ride his bicycle all over Drummondville and the surrounding area and who is drawn to the silence of the woods. As a side note, I've posted that article, the Gazette article, which is a, a highly sympathetic article of Michel Deary, I think I think Dacan is barely whispered of in it, uh, and the the tagline in it is "He never knew love." Um, <laughs> don't get me started on these things. I I I, I, under, I certainly understand the social elements of Deary's upbringing that 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 led to him becoming who he was, but you're not going to get any sympathy from me on this one. He's a child killer. And I I think um, I think it's very possible that Deary used his bicycle to stalk and hunt prey. And when he came upon the right victim, he would steal a car for the purposes of the abduction. Or maybe he lured Claudette uh, Poirier to follow him on his bicycle. Maybe she thought... Because he was slight and five foot tall, that he also was a child, we'll never know. Um, so anyway, I um, I spoke with the former Sarité de Québec investigator Jean-Paul Prince, uh, the the one who 
cracked the Decan case. Um, with a name like that, he was fairly easy to find in Quebec. Um, and I called him up and um, I thought, that I'm going to get the answering machine. The guy picked up on the first ring and was completely willing to talk. Uh, uh, Prince, of course, he's now retired. He's retired and living in Trois-Rivières. And I asked him if they ever considered Michel Deary as a suspect in the Claudette Poirier case. Prince stated that he did not recall Poirier's case, of course, you can imagine that, but he he thought that they probably would have ruled Deary out because at the time he was possibly not living in Drummondville, but still with his parents in Saint-Léonard uh, d'Aston. To which I say still... Saint-Léonard d'Aston is only 25 minutes. Uh, It's a 25-minute drive from Drummondville. Uh, The midpoint between Drummondville and Trois-Rivières. So maybe uh, Deary could have been driving uh, by the time he was 17 or 18. If not, maybe in 1977 uh, he had some reason to hitchhike there. Uh, and in fact, we know that the, the day that Jean-Paul Prince picked up him up, he was hitchhiking from St. Leonard d'Aston going towards Drummondville. Or, you know, maybe he, he, he rode his bike from St. Leonard d'Aston to Drummondville. He, he was said to have ridden his bike all over the Drummondville area. What is certain, at some point... Something eventually brought him to Drummondville. And the question is, did he arrive as early as 1977? Already on a bed of sighs and screams And still you torture me with visions You give me There is a chilling coda to this this story on uh, March 7th, 1979. Uh, at the back of their Wednesday edition, the press discloses that, um, like his sister, Claudette, 15-year-old Bruno Poirier has disappeared without a trace. Now, nothing more is mentioned of it. It's it's hard to fathom if he was murdered that there wouldn't be a ensuing story. Um, obviously, if he just simply ran away and returned home, there wouldn't be a story. But if he vanished, um, that because of the the many accounts I've read in Quebec, papers of people vanishing often, there's one mention and then that's it. There's, There's never another indication that they lived or died again. It just, it just ends. 
This is Who Killed Teresa. A very brief outro today. Uh, If you like us, give us a rating on, like a really good rating (laughs) on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, I don't know, any of the other places where you listen because I'm old. Uh, uh, follow us on social media. I'm at Justice Guy on Twitter. That's at J U S T U S G U Y. Also, there's a specific handle for the podcast on Twitter for this for this pod this this podcast this one right here at Teresa Lor at T H R at T H E R E S A A L L O R E. Follow us on Facebook at, um, I don't know, just just go and search Teresa Laura the podcast. Uh, finally, there's a website. Um, it's just www.teresalore.com. T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E.com. And for this episode, there's an awful lot of visual content that... Listen, I worked my ass off to find, and you won't find it anywhere else. So, um, I mean, it's second generation stuff from newspapers, but it's it's really friggin' interesting. So go look at it, will you, Bubs? Thanks. A shout out to my friend Marie Claude Blanchard, whose mother, Suzanne Blanchard, is still a unsolved cold case uh, for teaching me how to pronounce. Uh, Melanie uh, Dicain, otherwise I would have <laughs> pronounced it Melanie de Camps. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Mary Claude. Although we've never met, you're still um, my good friend, and one we one day we will we will meet. Um, I'm uh, going out of town. I'm going to be in Quebec next week, uh, which is to say, you might you might want to you know be hovering around. Uh, um, the social media apps because there's some exciting news coming out. Um, uh, there may there may actually be a bunch of a bunch of stuff coming out um, uh, late November, early uh, December. Uh, have to see how it plays out. But anyway, it's it's good stuff, um, and it, it's kind of secondary to the podcast. Uh, 
but um, you know, follow along and I'll try and keep it up to date, kids. That's it. That's that's the program. I said I'd, I'd do a short outro, so that's it. I'm, I'm shutting up, shutting up. This has been Who Killed Teresa? I'm the host, John Alora. Have yourselves a great, great afternoon.
Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. 